this is a, uh, and, I, and I love this church, and uh, your pastor and his wife are my nephew and niece, and I love their kids, and I pray for you every day. I start a lot of days with a little list, and you're on my list. And uh, this is a beautiful auditorium. We want to see it full and uh, see God bless you here. Uh, the, the reason there are cameras, this is a sermon that I preached for the first time on Cedar Lane in uh, January of 1993. And uh, I've, I probably preached a longer version of what I, I hope it was a longer version. I'm going to try to shorten it a little today of, of what I'm going to do today. Um, probably a hundred times in a hundred different places. And uh, a church in Detroit um, recorded it, and they told me that they had sold over a, over a thousand copies of it, and I didn't get any of that money. And so we're, and I've given away or sold about a thousand at Whitestone. But it's a good story of evangelism and God's love, and um, I hope you can relate to it today. But thanks for kind of sitting in this area, so it uh, you won't you won't be uh, on the screen much, but uh, in, in fact at all, so you can sleep, whatever you want to do there. And this rolls. This is going to be fun. You guys follow me around with the cameras as we get going. Okay, so this will be good. Uh, but uh, I, I love talking about. This subject, and I hope it's a blessing to you today. Uh, it has uh, it has blessed me to kind of remember Brian this way. The text for today is John three sixteen, as we quote it, and you know it mostly from the King James. It's God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, that's the, the most familiar verse in Scripture, other than those of us who were in junior high class and they wanted us to quote a Scripture, and we said, and Jesus wept. Uh, but uh, apart from that, uh, this one is, is the one. And Tim Tebow wore it on his face, when he played football, and you see it at a lot of things where people just put up John 3.16, and most of you could quote it. As I could, I, I knew it well and had preached from it. And uh, then something happened that changed how I interpreted it and changed my life. Let me tell you about my son, Brian, Brian Paul Cowell. He's buried about a mile from here. And uh, he was a, a really unusual fellow, fun-loving uh, 2,000 people came to his funeral just a block or two away from here. I think it was people that he had given ice cream to when he ran the Baskin-Robbins or he'd given them ammunition and guns when he had the sporting goods store, and uh, they all missed him and cried. Uh, but he was funny. Uh, he he lost his school books every year. Uh, I bought them at the end of the year, and I said, when did you lose them? And he didn't remember that he had them. He made C's. Uh, without the books, he uh, he just really loved life. He loved uh, the people that were in his life. Uh, he was a joy wherever he went, and he was a joy to Gene and I. We we liked him a lot. 
he uh, was 24 years old, married, uh, didn't have any children, and he loved hunting and fishing. I didn't worry about him so much hunting, but I did fishing because I wasn't sure that his little boat would get out of the way of people with faster, bigger boats. But Brian uh, loved the outdoors. He loved his friends. He loved his uh, his uh, hunting and fishing. Some of his friends are here today that uh, knew him a long time ago. I got a call on the morning of December 11, 1992 from uh, a lady whose husband was hunting with Brian in West Tennessee. And she said, uh, you need to call this number. There's been an accident. And I said, tell me what's happened. And she said, call this number. She wouldn't talk to me. I called and got a doctor on the phone. And Brian and an older friend had been hunting at a, this man's uh, farm. They were staying in a cabin on his property near his house. And Brian had gone out early that morning to uh, load the guns and get ready. He was often late for church, but he was never late to go hunting. And uh, he uh, had been out about 20 minutes in 20-degree weather. When the man got out, he said, I've already put the percussion cap in your gun, and uh, you need to be careful it's loaded. With that, he handed it to him. The gun dropped, and Brian was reaching for it and uh, trying to uh, keep anything worse from happening. And when it hit the ground, it went off and hit him in the left ear and uh, blew a good part of his head away, 50 caliber ball. The doctor told me what happened, and uh, in two or three minutes, you just you don't have time to prepare, prepare for that. There was no notice of sickness or a sense of impending danger. The gun just went off, and Brian was killed instantly. A few days later, uh, I was devastated and, and was driving back to work for the first time. Had not been able to go uh, back to work for about a week, and I was driving down Interstate 75 at the Callahan Road exit and was praying. And I said, God, I've got a son left, and I want to learn all I can learn from this event. You tell me what you want me to know, and, and let's get this beyond us. I was immediately in the car there, overwhelmed with the love of God. Didn't hear an audible voice, but I was aware of God's presence. And the thought that just permeated that car and my heart was John 3.16 in a little different way. And what I learned from that is what I want to share with you today. What I learned from my son's death. Before there was anything, there was God. I don't know how to explain that. Uh, I don't know how to tell you that how he got here or where he came from or how much power he has. But when there was nothing but God, there was God. The Big Bang folks tell us that uh, it started with a big flash of light. And uh, one day that God said, let there be light and begin the creation process. I think the reason he did it was because he has a nature, a character, a, a personality, if you will. We're told that God is love. If you want to just sum him up, so what's this God like, this being that's out there in the darkness of unborn time? What's this God like? 
And the answer is, God is love. But if that's who he is, he would have a... I don't, I don't want to give God characteristics he doesn't have or put words in his mouth. But he seems to have had a desperate need to express that love. He wanted someone to understand him. If we're created in God's image, then when you think about it, artists want to paint and poets want to write poems and um, people want to express who they are. They want to they talk about uh, how they live and what they feel and what they think, and that's real common. Uh, I think it's deeply in our DNA to tell the world who we are and to be able to communicate. And I think this God who existed self-sufficient and alone, I guess, started creation. I don't know where the angels fit in, and you can fill all those blanks in you want to. But he, he wanted to tell us something. He wanted someone to know. And so he created with us in mind, and the result is the world we live in. He created man, it says, a little lower than the angels. Uh, we're, but we're made in God's image. And so he wanted us to be high enough to get it, to get who he is. Everything that is exists so you can understand who God is. He created you to know that. He wanted to be able to say, I'm love. I love you. Uh, I like who you are. I, I want you to know me. So you're created in God's image, high enough to get it. And um, then he, he added something else that is a pretty desperate thing. In order to know love, you have to have choices. And so in Adam and Eve, in the garden, he gave them the overwhelming gift of free will. I was asking a girl out for a date for a number of years, two or three years I asked her. She was older than me, but I was uh, taller than her, and um, I, I thought she'd go out with me, and she wouldn't go out with me. And Then one night, I'd probably ask her six or seven times over a period of time, one night after a youth service, she came up to me and said, what are you doing tonight after church? And I said, I don't know. She said, I'd like to go out with you. And I was just thrilled. Uh, I'd tell you her name, but she may see this video someday. And she's old enough she won't remember it because she was older than me. <laughs> and, and so we went out three or four times. Then I found out that she wanted to go out with the local pagan hood in town. His name was Billy. And her mother said, you can't go out with him. But I was the youth leader at church by that time. She finally acquiesced and said, for every date you have with Paul, you can go out with Billy. And so I found that out, and I didn't ask her out anymore because that wasn't very satisfying. If somebody doesn't love you freely, if they have no choice, uh, you know, you can hold a gun to somebody's head and say, say you love me, and they'll say anything you need them to say. I love you, but as soon as they get a chance, they're going to disarm you if they can. So God realized that for us to be able to love him, we had to have free will. You had to be able to choose whether you did or not. And he gave us this incredible burden 
of free will. He put a man and a woman in a garden paradise. And uh, every day he came and walked with them in the cool of the evening. Adam only had to dress and keep the garden and make it look good. There weren't any of the problems we have today with our environment. And I don't know what they talked about. I wish I did know, but uh, that must, I don't know how long that went on. Maybe God closed the conversation in the twilight of each evening there in the garden by saying, Did you eat of the tree today? One tree they couldn't eat of. They had a choice. Live in paradise, enjoy everything there, or eat this one tree. We talk about an apple. I don't know what it was. Of all the dumb things to choose, I wouldn't think I'd have any trouble not eating an apple, even if an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I can get by without the apple. A snake got in the garden. Satan. And he came to Eve. He's the father of all lies. Uh, he's just a liar. What, whatever he says, you can count on it being a lie. I don't think he can tell the truth. And this angelic demon thrown out of hell, out of heaven, destined for hell, came to Adam and Eve, and as a part of God's allowing choices, he said to Eve, you know, God is not good. He knows that if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'd be like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He's keeping you from something good. The result was Eve believed this story, and she ate of the tree, and she gave to her husband Adam, and he ate, and they fell from God consciousness into self-consciousness. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, when we all get to heaven, if I see Adam, I'm going to have a hard time not just slapping him. Uh, just what were you thinking? Uh, you've, you've messed up creation here. So the father of lies came and started a lie, and his, his lie is God is not good. He's still telling the same story. He, he's not come up with anything new. What he says today is God doesn't really love you. Look at the bad things that have happened in your life. Look at the children that are hungry or the wars that go on, whatever he wants to bring up. And look at the things that you've prayed for that you didn't get. And God doesn't really love you. And so people have a choice. I think only two choices. They can either believe that God is love or they can believe that God is not love. They can believe God is good or he's not good. And the result of, of this is... Uh, I guess it would be appropriate to say Jesus is God following man out of the garden. Through the years, with man exiled from the Garden of Eden, exiled from the Tree of Life, he uh, lived uh, on his own, often rebellious. God would reveal himself to man, and man would uh, rebel against what he saw. The net result was, whether it was prophets or judges or... Uh, manna from heaven or quail when they were hungry or water from a rock or deliverance from slavery. Through uh, 4,000 years of recorded history, a little over, man continued to rebel against God. Man did things like create idols to worship. Make it with your hands and then worship it. I think one of those strange stories in the Bible is when no Moses is up on Mount Sinai the people say, we don't think he's coming down. We've got this goal that we got out of Egypt. And they said to Moses' brother Aaron, why don't you make us a, a god? 
make us a calf, a golden calf, and we'll worship that. Boy, man must be desperate to worship. I grew up on a dairy farm, and uh, I have no interest in worshiping a calf. My image of a calf is my dad with a rope around a little calf's neck and me twisting its tail. That's the only way you could get them to go anywhere. And they get them away from the mother so the mother could wean them and you could get milk. And calves were just incredibly stupid. And, and if I was going to pick something to worship, I'm not going to worship a calf. They're, they're, they make a golden calf, and you know all the story from there. They, they made totem poles of various ways. Men's worship the sun, the moon. Uh, we worship materialism, and we could go into that, and that's another story. So man continues to rebel against God, continues to make things to worship, continues to not worship God, and then God brings man back, and uh, he's okay for a little while. You read the book of Judges. They just came and went through Judges. Every once in a while, they'd be okay, and then they'd rebel and be in slavery. God would deliver them. What incredible patience God showed with these people to just keep trying to help them, to bring them back. He wants us desperately to know God loves you. He's got a good plan for your life. He's got a place in heaven for you. He wants you to be with him forever. Just as Adam and Eve didn't get it, Israel didn't get it. Uh, Satan kept disguising himself in various ways. And he always comes and says the same thing. He says it about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are to fences to keep you in, when in fact they are fences to keep the evil one and the problems out. You, you live that way, the wages of that is all death. And so God's doing all he can to bring us to a place of belief that he can combat the great lie of Satan. Those two have been fighting a cosmic battle across the centuries, God says, I love you. Satan says, he doesn't. Listen to John 15, 13. This is an important scripture. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. There's nothing bigger than that. I would like to think that if it was all of you or me, some terrorist came in the building today and stood all of you up. Some of you are are 50-year friends that are here. It's good to see you today. And I would like to think uh, if, if they had you on one side and me on one side, they'd say, uh, it's you or them. I'm the kind of guy that would say, it's me, take me, let me substitute myself for them. I love those old World War II movies where there's four friends in a foxhole and uh, the the mortars are going off and you hear the noise of battle close by. And they're hunkered down and talking about their relationship to one another and when they get out, what they'll do. And suddenly a German hand grenade rolls in the foxhole. I'd like to be the kind of man that would think, when that happens, I'll just throw myself on it. I'd say, I love you guys, and I'd just throw myself on the, foxhole, on the hand grenade. It might be that they would say, He's the biggest one here, throw him on. And I might not have a chance to make a choice. I've thought about that scenario. But I I would love to think I would die for my friends. But my other son, Kevin, is here. And if it's you or Kevin, you're goners. God can't expect us to sacrifice our kids. And in the midst of Brian's death, thinking about how much I loved him, 
how important he was to me, and how we wouldn't have that relationship again till heaven. Uh, I, w- I was just overwhelmed with the love of God because here's what I think he did. I think he's been trying to send us this message through the centuries, and we just don't get it. He sent all sorts of miracles and deliverances and people and uh, prophets to tell them. But most of the time, they were just missing it. And finally, he sent his son. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And so I'd like to think that he created the father-son relationship in order to tell you and I today, I am a good God who loves you because I gave more than myself. I gave my only son. Uh, God created all those images of sheep and shepherds. I think the only reason they're sheep is so he could say, I'm the shepherd, because they needed looking after even in Genesis 4 when there was no problems between animals. I think he says, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the door, and I'm the way. Uh, He says, I'm your husband, you're the bride. All the images that you can think of, uh, types and shadows in the world today, for one thing, for God to be able to say to us, this will show you how much I love you. You're a sheep. There are no trained sheep shows. You won't go to the Tennessee Valley A&I Fair and see a trained sheep show because uh, you can't train sheep to do anything. And God says, I created them. And here's the animal image I'm going to show you. I'm a shepherd. And uh, then he can say through David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He looks after us. He intends to look after us. He intended for us to be needy for him. Him for his love. And so... In John 3.16, God says it best. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I would change it to say, God so loved the world that he gave more than himself. Part of this deal with Brian's death was uh, that he didn't suffer. You know, it's one of those strange things that people say, how did he die? You hear about a wreck this afternoon. You don't know what to say to people that have just lost a loved one. And so we, we say, how did this happen? How did, like, that's going to change things, but that's as good as anything. There's not much you can say to help a grieving family. Just be there. And so two months after Brian's death, I was at a shopping center. It came out, and some folks who had been out of town for those two months had just heard about his death. And they came up to me in the parking lot and hugged me and said, uh, uh, we just heard Brian died. Tell us what happened. So I'm telling the story. He loaded the gun. And uh, I get to the part where the doctor whose house he was at, his cabin, said he would have never heard the shot, Mr. Cowell. The wound was so massive that he didn't suffer at all. And so I get to that part, and, and it's almost joyful for me at that point. I'm saying, and Brian didn't suffer. Uh, one of the fellows that worked for us, our chief financial officer, had told me after this that a friend of his was in a tree stand hunting. He dropped his black powder gun. It came up through the tree stand, hit him in the chin, came out his jaw, and uh, he hung in that tree for hours, uh, tied into the stand, bleeding, probably in a semi-comatose state, just bleeding out over, they estimate he was there seven or eight hours. Nobody knew where he was, and nobody found him, and he suffered and finally died. If that was the story of Brian, and Brian had told me, he said, one of the problems I have is I'll get up in a tree stand early in the morning, and then uh, I'll I'll eat some. He 
uh, would take candy with him, said the biggest buck he ever saw woke him up, that uh, he was just sound asleep and he heard noise, and he looked down and right in front of him was a 10-point buck. And he said, by the time I moved, he was gone. But what if he had been up in the tree stand asleep, dropped his gun, and it had gone off, come up through the tree stand as it had for that fellow, and hit him in the chin? What if he'd been there suffering and bleeding and dying for hours, uh, calling out, help, can anyone hear me? Mom, Dad, Jim, Rusty, can anybody hear me? It would change my heart. But he didn't suffer. Let me tell you what the God of heaven did for us. He let his son hang on a tree, tied to it, mocked, ridiculed, bleeding, beaten, naked. People taunting him at the bottom. You saved others, save yourself. He sent him to die for us. And we crucified him. We crucified him. That the God of heaven didn't split the clouds of glory and come down and rescue his only beloved son in whom he was well pleased, it says, and just blast all of creation into nothingness, back to nothing, and take him back to the unity that they had in heaven is the most amazing fact in the world to me. We, we don't want our children to suffer. And especially when the boy cries out on the cross, my God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Breaks my heart. But he's doing it for one reason. He's doing it to tell you that he loves you. If you can't see that, I I don't know how to tell you any better. Um, The the father didn't rescue him. The father didn't send 10,000 angels. Jesus said he could have, but he didn't. Because he wants you to get one message, and it's really simple. God is love. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Because the highest love we ever have is to lay down our life for a friend. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. Satan's still telling his lie. He's saying God is not love. Uh, It's not true. God is love. And he's showing it the best way he can. You're asked to decide something on a daily basis. You're asked to decide whether you believe that or you believe Satan. That's about the only thing that you have to do. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What, what else have I got to do? Oh, you've got to climb up steps of ground glass. You've got to do all of these things that we often impose on you because we can manipulate you with guilt and fear of hell. But what God says is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. John twenty thirty one. These things are written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that incredible? It's just really easy. And yet we've made it complicated and difficult. And if the plan of salvation is so a 12-year-old or an 8-year-old can't get it, maybe we've just made it too complicated. I don't know. So... Your choice today is with regard to believing. Romans 5, 8, uh, we're told, 
Barth said that Romans 5 was God's love letter to us. It says God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. God has prepared a place for us to be with him forever. He loved us first. He sent messages. He's been patient with us. And Satan continues to lie. And people continue to believe Satan. And God has done everything he can do to overcome this dangerous gift of free will that he's given us so that we could understand how much he loves us. To accomplish his purpose for his creation, for all that is, is to have beings that are high enough to relate to him and say, I love God and God loves me. The greatest gift on earth is uh, to love and be loved. And God's nature requires that. So John 3.16, in my translation, is a little different. God so loved the world that he gave even more than himself. See, me dying would be one thing, but my son dying would be another thing. I love you enough. I see faces out there that I love enough I'd die for you. But I want you to know I don't love enough to sacrifice my son for you. I, I can't. I can't love it. And it says, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. And so God loved you so much, he gave more than himself. He gave us his son. The ultimate act of love is the sacrifice of the son on Calvary. God desperately wants you to believe this story. Satan's one lie. God's not good. How can you believe that in light of this? You have a choice. You have free will. Um... I'm looking forward to seeing Brian again. He was a believer. And uh, I'm excited about resurrection. I sat just a mile away at the top of the cemetery that first Easter after his death and thought, one day we're going to see our loved ones again. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Resurrection and Easter is always special now. This is the best message that God can send to you. He doesn't know how else to tell you. It says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sins. There's nothing new God can do. There's no better way that you can know it. And if today you can't see God's love in this, I'm sorry to tell you, you're probably not going to get it. There's not going to be anything to happen in the future that will be any clearer or brighter, more illustrate God's love than the valentine he sent us on a bloody cross painted in red God's love shed through his son so that all who believe can come to him and know him God loves you today I hope you've believed that for a long time if you haven't I hope you'll believe it today I hope you'll give your heart to God in a deeper greater way trust his love there'll be things happen that you don't understand but that shouldn't keep you from the love of God. Let's pray.